vulnerability unleashes leadership. Hey out there, this is Heather Vickery, and you've tuned in to the Brave Files podcast. Welcome. Thrilled to have you here with us. We've all had our brushes with toxic masculinity. It's easy to see how toxic masculinity is dangerous for women, but honestly, there's a serious danger for men and all people, regardless of gender, when it comes to something toxic like this. And changing it takes a lot of unwiring, unraveling, and retraining all people across the board on what it means to be, quote, a man. Well, my guest this week is Charles Matthews, and he has been taking on toxic masculinity in a really, really big way. But Charles doesn't call it that. He calls it, quote, the man box. And he uses that term because of all of the negativity that's associated with toxic masculinity. Charles says that sometimes we have to find a clever way into a conversation and using polarizing words, even if they are accurate, won't always help us break through to the group of people who most need to hear what we have to say. Charles freely admits that despite all of his personal work and growth, he sometimes still finds himself inside that man box. He tries his best to recognize his behavior, take responsibility for it, and do better. Charles and I have this incredible conversation. It's really beautiful and fantastic and honest and raw. We tackle weakness and failure. And what the hell is a soft skill? Why does such an important thing have such a pathetic name? We talk about using our privilege responsibly and to support others and what it means to be a true leader. There's so much to this conversation. Let's get to it. Here we go. This is Heather Vickery, and you're listening to The Brave Files, stories from people living courageously. When we choose bravely in big and small ways, it powerfully elevates our lives. I hope these stories connect with you and encourage you to embrace bravery in every possible way, day after day. Together, we can build a movement of courageous living that enriches both our lives and our communities. And if you enjoy the show, I ask you to please share it with others. Maybe think of someone who you want to choose bravely right alongside you. Thanks for tuning in. Now here's the show. Folks, you are going to be so glad that you joined us today because today we're learning about, wait for it, I'm channeling my best inner Barney Stinson there, wait for it, (laughs) I couldn't help it, the recovery journey of going from the quote unquote man box of masculinity and into a healthier lifestyle that's more full, more authentic, and less dependent on domination and repression. For today's guest, Charles Matthews, he grew up like most other young men, embedded in the idea that power and happiness come from conforming to expectations, a particular level of confidence, certainty at all costs, and emotional stoicism. Charles found a way off, thank goodness, of that ladder to nowhere. And since then, Charles is such a neat guy. We met on 
Twitter. I think that's so yeah. cool. I love the socials. He now mentors boys and coaches men to see how their power actually grows through vulnerability and connection instead of toxic masculinity. And um, although I know a lot of people who have men who have been on this journey, I don't know very many who are as verbose about it as you are, Charles, and who are as willing to vulnerably bring other people along on this journey and and very specifically talk about why it matters. So Charles, welcome to The Brave Files. Heather, thank you so much. I, I would really love you to write the forward to my book. That was, <laughs> you described that uh, so beautifully. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Know, you. I've always wanted somebody to ask me to write the forward to their Here book. So maybe we could work that out. Here we go. Um, well, you know what? Let's just go there. I yeah. We're going to go back and we're going to talk about your things, but you do have a book coming out. Why don't you tell mm -hmm. folks what it is? Yeah. So the working title right now is Leadership and Masculinity, How Men Can Embrace New Strength and Unleash Their Leadership. And it's really just it uh, just about what you talked about in the in the intro and it is you know centered around my experience i try and be really clear that what we call man box masculinity is as much something that's done to men as men do you know i stay away from the term toxic leadership and really focus on the idea that you know society culture has created these norms for how men are supposed to behave and that's sort of worked to maintain some dominance and white supremacy and misogyny. It's sort of kept men on top and that's been great, but it doesn't work in the 21st century. It's just <laughs> that. It's only been great for the white straight men. <laughs> yes, it only, it's been only great. been working. And by, yes, exactly. <laughs> working, it's been, I thought, I thought I made that clear, but no, you're absolutely right. It's worked. It's worked to maintain that hierarchy. You that did, word you that's so hard to pronounce. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hierarchy. Yeah. I know. It's I have hierarchical. I still can't say it. I can say hierarchy, but there yeah. you go. I don't even know how many <laughs> syllables are in hierarchical. I don't know if it's eight or thirteen. But the but but the point is, I mean, like that hierarchical net of set of relationships actually diminishes us. It diminished me trying to always be better than try to be better than my wife, better than a younger person, better than uh, an LGBTQI person, you know, better than somebody who makes less money than me. That just kept me separate and isolated. Is, is better than when you say that like that, is that word synonymous with stronger? In many ways, because that's, that's been the definition of strength, right? There's always contests in the old man box masculinity or the old dominance culture. Strength is always defined by whether or not you've won the most recent contest of having more money, of being physically stronger, of being quicker with a put down, of, you know, uh, being able to trick women into relationship or sex or whatever it is. So, yeah, it's always a contest. And those yeah. contests define you know, a kind of strength that is never assured. It's never grounded because it's always based on the most recent contest. So men are always, when we are caught up in that man box thinking and that dominance thinking, we're never relaxed. We're never at ease. Mm. We're all, we never have a relationship that's really sustaining because even our relationships, oh, you suck. Just kidding. I love you, bro. Right? Like that's, that's yeah. the kind of banter that men maintain in order to stay in that competitive mindset. But all you have to do is step away from that, and then you can have different kinds of relationships. Right. Well, because all of those behaviors have, whether intended or unintended, 
consequences. And so, you know, you said you try to stay away from the word toxic, which I absolutely respect because it's a trigger word that's automatically going to shut people down and they're not going to listen. But toxic behaviors are there all the time. There's toxic positivity, there's toxic masculinity, there's toxic feminism, and all of it is is taking whatever it is that you're doing so far that it is incredibly unhealthy. Uh, And has all of these, again, intended and unintended consequences for everyone around us. Now, as you so vulnerably and eloquently said, these behaviors for for the for men in general, because certainly uh, the man box, as you call it, <clears throat> toxic masculinity, is not reserved specifically and only for white straight men. Those are the ones that yeah. st- have stayed most in power from that. But it is across the board. Um, yeah. And and y'all listen. If I for all of my my male listeners, I I don't hate men. Um, I like men. Most of my good friends are men. So this is really just a really healthy conversation to dig in. But it it has kept people in power, and it doesn't serve anymore. It's also really unfair. My mom was like, "Life's unfair." Like you know, you can't use the word fair, but but we should be able to use the word. It's unjust. Unquote, it's unjust. It's, and it's unjust, and, unjust. It, and it prevents equity. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. absolutely. For sure. So let's let's go back to to little Charles. Yeah. Um, at what point in your life was there a point in your life where you were strong in the man box and and you went, "What the fuck am I doing here?" Like, how do you get yeah. from being a little boy who was one hundred percent raised in in this environment as most little boys are? I know yeah. lots of folks right now, especially people, especially people in the queer community who are really cognizant of trying to raise their children without these gender boxes, but it's still super prevalent. So take us back to little Charles and how did we get here? Right. You know, I grew up with a a strong, smart mom and an emotionally available father. So I come from kind of an, an, a non-traditional set of gender roles in that way. But my, you know, my father still struggled with his own adaptations to the man box and the, you know, the, a lot of depth psychologists talk about, you know, kind of the primary wounding that gives us this message that we're less than and not good enough and that we spend the rest of our lives kind of dealing with. And what I got was just a look of disdain from my dad when I tangled my fishing line for the 30th time, you know, in the willows next to next to uh, the Verde River as he's trying to teach me to fish. So, mm. and I know that he got that exact same look and that exact same attitude from his father. You know, it's, we've just been passing it down for generations unintentionally. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the man box and those cultural expectations are so encoded in our culture, so encoded in how we behave on the playground, so encoded in how teachers treat us differently based on whatever gender we appear to be, um, that it's really kind of the water that most men swim in. And then we want to interview these men slash fish and they say, what are you talking about? This is just what I'm swimming in. So there is never, there's not one thing that shoves a boy into the man box. It's this repeated policing from other men. 
And like I was talking about, it's like guys being like, yeah, I love you, brother. You suck. You know, that's that constant little, you know, policing this, these constant little put downs that tell us what's the right way to behave. Oh, don't be a girl. Oh, don't be soft or don't be weak. All of these messages, they're very clear and they crop up. They still crop up. Um, and they crop up even between me and really quote unquote evolved men. We catch ourselves like, Oh dude, sorry. Like I was having this great conversation with my editor, uh, the other day. And I, I was just, I, I made a crack about him being kind of scattered and he's not scattered. He's just like, he thinks his, his thinking is so broad and so, and he's got so much energy and I was jealous. And so I tried to take him, I tried to take him down a notch. What a realization. And I had to stop him. He kept going. It didn't bother. He's so confident. It didn't bother him. And, but I had to apologize because I just felt awful for like participating in that takedown culture. And I was fortunate enough in my growth and leadership to start leading in the outdoors, which mm. was most, which was one of the more diverse leadership industries to be in. Not as many women as there should be, but more women than in other places. Lots of collaborative leadership, lots of attention paid to relationship and listening, lots of attention paid to the whole person, the 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 thinking domain, the feeling domain, the somatic domain. So I learned how to be a leader from that non-compartmentalized, quote unquote, soft skills arena. Soft skills are the strongest skills. They are, which is, yeah, I put, nobody can see this, but I put soft skills in quotes. I know. People skills, (laughs) relational skills. Mark Green, my podcast partner, calls them relational skills. And those are the set of skills that most men get talked out of. Okay. Hold on a second. I need to go there with you. I love that your podcast partner says that because I have to imagine, I don't know the origin of the term quote unquote soft skills, but it was probably a dude who came up with that and relational skills is a fucking fantastic word choice because that's exactly what it is. And so they are badass skills. They are badass. They are are badass. I now ask all of you who are listening and Charles, you are now invited to police me. If you ever, for any reason in any scenario, hear me use the word soft skills, correct me to relational skills. I am going to write it on a post-it note and put it out because I want to be part of the movement that erases that term of soft. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So, you know, my story is I learned all those, I relearned my relational skills. I, I was in an environment that, that supported my use of relational skills. And then I got involved with mentoring boys and, and helping teen boys reconnect to their emotional selves to be able to identify a feeling besides the word fine. Like that's not a mm. feeling. Uh, hungry like is that. hungry, tired. Those are not those are not feeling words. Um, and having as men, we had to walk our talk as we were working with these teenage boys to help them express those feelings so that they could connect, so that they could learn some emotional self regulation. Talk about a relational skill just with ourselves, right? How do yeah. we how do we feel our emotions without letting them overtake us or cause us to act out? So I was in this wonderful environment of relational skills and, and a focus on positive supportive relationships. And so when, when are you conscious? Like at what point in your life are you like, Whoa, hold up. Like this is, I don't, I don't want this box. Yeah. I don't want to, are you a parent Charles? No. 
No. Okay. Uh, Talk about a set of difficult skills. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Right now I feel underqualified to be the parent of my four children, but you know, whatever life knocks you down, you get knocked down you get back up again. Somebody should make a song like that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, well, the, the, I, yeah, go ahead. That's, you know, you don't want to see other men in it. And we, of course, have to start with our children. And to be fair, we don't want to just start with our male gender identified children, just like, just like teaching young girls that they have the right to say no, that what they wear doesn't mean they're asking for it, that walking alone at night doesn't mean they deserve it. Like we have to teach our girls that we have to teach our boys that. Absolutely. And so the, to, to not raise young men to be in the man box, to be toxic, to do all of that. We also yeah. have to raise all gendered people to not put that on them. Right. There are grow a yeah, pair. Hey yeah. man, grow a pair. Right. Right. Yeah. Women and girls do participate in policing men back into the man box, men and boys back into the man box. That absolutely happens. Um, there was a great one. We interviewed uh, Ashante Branch, who runs programs in middle schools in, in Oakland, and he gets boys in groups and they work on emotional expression and work on uh, solid brotherhood. And sometimes they those boys have to ignore him in the halls later. Because in the hallway is a different place than in that circle where they just expressed Ooh. their vulnerability and their fears and their dreams and all that. So it's not always safe everywhere. And It's interesting that you say that because I actually feel like as the mentor, it's really important to recognize that they cannot do that work in that circle if you don't allow them to pretend they didn't do that work in the hallway. <laughs> Yeah. It's sad. Yeah. And I hope that yeah, it shifts, but we do have to understand yeah. that there are consequences. Like we, we have to be, you know, I'm a member of the LGBTQ community. I'm lesbian. And I, I often come out on stage, except I need to sometimes go, wait, am I in Waterloo, Iowa? This is maybe not yeah. where I want to declare this from the stage. Cause yeah. I don't have security with me. Right. right. I'm not, right. I, I don't, I don't have my own personal bodyguard and I don't know what's going to happen to me when I leave here and walk back alone to my hotel room. Yeah. 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 And you know, I, I'm a huge proponent of vulnerability. You know, vulnerability was one of my words and I, I, I recognize the, the tremendous privilege I carry by being a white straight seeming cis man. It's, it's actually, there's a lot more, I carry a lot more safety around with me to be vulnerable. Um, yeah. But despite the, despite the fact that the man box is screaming at me, don't be vulnerable. That's being <laughs> weak. You're going to yeah. be, you're going to be lumped in with women and then you won't be safe. And that's one of the myths that come with the man box that prevent men from stepping out of it is this idea that they will then feel as unsafe as you do sometimes mm. that they will be giving up this sort of perch of teetery, fragile, but real security. And what I'm telling men is that, you know, we can take, we can kind of maintain our privilege and use it responsibly to be yes. vulnerable and to create more places that are safer for more people. Yeah. I mean, that's the true definition of being 
an ally in any scenario is using our privilege to create positive change, to lift up other voices, to create safer spaces, right? Yeah. And you're very good at that um, across the board. That was what, that was how we ended up becoming Twitter friends was because I was like, well, I really like what this guy is saying about black lives, about women's rights, about you know all of these things. At what point do you decide, I am going to go all the way out there. I am going to be really loud. Now, I, I, you know, yeah. I was just having this conversation in a group coaching session earlier today that I'm a catch more bees with honey kind of person. I do think that positivity matters and that, you know, I want to pull people in. But the fact of the matter is we all know that sometimes we got to be loud and sometimes we've yeah. got to take off the gloves and sometimes negative causes better behavior than positive reinforcement. Now, I, I think that sucks. I'm going to be really clear mm -hmm. and say that I'm not a fan of that being a truth, but as human beings, we don't want to be in pain. Right. We want to be comfortable. And this is painful work. And so at what point did you decide, fuck it, I am going to go out there and I'm going to call people on their bullshit and I'm going to say this thing and I'm going to do this and I, there are probably going to be lots of people who don't like me for it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's when I realized that every time I expressed vulnerability, I felt more powerful. Fucking A. And I want that. I want that for men. I want that version of power for men and boys. You know, and I, like I said, I, you know, I came from, you know, a, a father who was, you know, reasonably emotionally available. I had all these wonderful experiences with outdoor leadership. I got involved with male, with men's retreats and boys retreats and in environments where vulnerability was appreciated and expected. And then I got promoted to, to full on executive director of, of boy, of the local boys to men chapter. And I forgot every damn thing I learned about how to lead collaboratively, how to listen, how to breathe, how to be vulnerable. So this was, this was the kind of the beginning of like, okay, well, I really got to get out there and be loud about this because I failed. I effed up. We, we swear on this podcast, right? Yes, I we fucked, swear. I fucked up. I fucked yeah. up, Heather, like everything I'd learned because I was so anxious about not being good enough for this role, the Peter principle and imposter syndrome and all that stuff came up for me. Women talk about the imposter syndrome all yeah. the time, but it is, it is right there for men. And so many men in men's retreats will raise their hand when somebody else says, you know what? Sometimes I don't feel good enough. Hands go up all around the circle. And I did, but I didn't know that. I thought I was unique. I thought I was special. I thought I was really special and how, and how bad I was. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that's one of the things that men do when we feel that lack of competence, we overcompensate. Yeah. Most men, most women tend to get smaller. A lot of men yeah. get bigger. So I started micromanaging my employees. I started literally telling them how to cross their I's and dot their T's uh, on the reports. And I fractured my relationships. All of these wonderful relationships I'd had with the volunteers were strained. And my board finally had to pull me aside to a special meeting. And I realized, oh my God, I'm going to I'm, I'm in danger of losing my dream job because I tried to control everything out of my fear. I stopped being vulnerable. I, I was hiding. I was trying to cover up all of my mistakes. Unfortunately, I got some, some transformational coaching that started with 
reconnected me to my ability to be vulnerable. Mm. And then I had to go back. Once I did that work, I had to go back to those, to those men, to those volunteers, to those people I was supervising and say, I'm sorry. Yeah. That's like the hardest thing for all, a, a lot of people, but especially men to say ever. Absolutely. I'm, and, and not, and not, I'm sorry if. Right. Right. I'm but sorry if I I'm offended sorry. you. No, I'm yeah. sorry. I hurt you. I treated you poorly. I managed you badly. I need your help to be a better leader. And that last part of I need your help was what unleashed this, mm. this creativity and, and collaboration in that team. But it also, like I said, it unleashed in me this desire to spread this experience as much as possible to really explain this cognitive dissonance between what the man box is telling us and what the truth is. The truth is that when we can be vulnerable and when we can admit mistakes, sometimes we have to do it with a therapist or a trusted group first, which is what I did before, just like laying it out in front of the people who I hurt. But when we can do that, we don't get ostracized from the tribe. Yeah. Right. The tribe, in my case, at least the tribe said, yes, less. Right. We got you. We got your back. Let's do this. And it's okay. We can do it again. So that for me, you know, as the creator of the brave method, to me, that falls very firmly in what I call the three R's, which is reassessment, reframing and resilience. Like Hmm. I, this didn't work. This didn't feel good. I don't, I don't want this. I don't want this for other people. What did I learn? Right. So we've reassessed. What did I learn? What do I want to do differently? How am I going to behave? And then resilience. Okay, now we get up and we do it again. Absolutely. What what was so fascinating to me about about what you said there was this trigger that's tripped when we all of a sudden become the boss or the leader where we think that we have to behave. And this is not a uniquely male perspective. It's I think it's for a lot, you know, across the board. We we have to behave a certain way in order to live up to the standards and expectations. And that's one of the reasons, you know, the executive coaching that I do, I call it the whole employee, like a 360 approach and and learn to lead from wherever you are, because we put people in a leadership role without ever having given them any training on what it actually means to be a leader. Yeah. Because a, a leader isn't somebody who tells you what to do and micromanages all the things you just said. Uh, right. A leader is is collaborative and brings in shared vision and and helps you do your best job on the team and understand how everybody else's role plays into it. And and I'm so grateful that you're out working with these young men and these boys on how to do that more thoughtfully and vulnerably yep. and authentically. Because it does change. I always tell people we can't change anyone but ourselves. But when we change ourselves, the people around us change. Yeah. Uh, and you yeah. you saw yeah. that, right? Yeah. When you right. came back and apologized, what was different then the next time? Well, I mean, just to put it into, into business terms, like we tripled the amount of impact we had in the community. Yeah. Um, we doubled our fundraising. Um, we were able to create brand new programs that served a completely different age group. Our reputation in the community went through the roof. We had no problems recruiting. In fact, we had to turn volunteers away. So, and, and from a, a a less measurable perspective, 
it was just so much more fun. Yes. It was creative and collaborative. Fun. Oh my God. So much energy. And, uh, and then, and then to just measure my own change. Like I started sleeping again. Wow. I was able to breathe fully again. I wasn't anxious all the time. I wasn't trying to hide the, the amount of energy it takes to hide, you know, failure and, and, and isolation is, it just took a lot out of me. I, I'm really lucky. I mean, I'm lucky that I, that I didn't have some sort of bad health outcome. I'm really glad that, that my board caught it when they did so that I didn't, you know, ruin myself and ruin the organization any further. And that's, that's why, you know, you talk about me working with men and boys and I'm actually not working with teens so much anymore because I want to be upstream working with men who are in leadership positions who can, as you mm -hmm. say, change the environment. Yes. Make it possible for more people, all kinds of people, previously marginalized folks uh, to be included in this kind of collaborative, welcoming, fun, vulnerable, brave leadership. Oh, I love that. And, you know, we find societally, when you think about minority groups of, of any kind, you think about the bullies in those groups, it is a protective measure. It, mm -hmm. it is a, mm -hmm. they're beating up on me in all these other places and I'm going to have some power here and it doesn't work. It, it leads to really bad things <laughs> across the board. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I just, I love that you're out here doing that. You, you said less measurably everyone was happier. Yeah. And uh, I think you and I should collaborate and come up with some sort of metric to measure happiness and joy. Because yeah. I believe deeply from my firsthand experience with myself and with all of my clients that you, you're 100% right. That when we are happier, when we live more joy-filled lives, we have the cup runneth over, right? We have more right. to give. We, we create more happiness and joy. We think more collaboratively and community oriented and what do we want? And that leads me into a question that I get to ask on this show every week that I love, but I'm supremely excited to ask you right now, which is how do you celebrate success? Because these things are all the, they're all the same. And the more yeah. we celebrate, the more we have to celebrate. Yeah. You know, Heather, this is a great question because I'm still learning how to do that. And mm. one of the aspects, one of the robberies of the man box is to prevent men from celebrating success in part because there's never, if you're in the man box, if you're on that dog eat dog world, that hierarchical ladder, there never is an actual success because there's always somebody stepping on your head up above you. There's always somebody clawing at your enough. ankles. You can't be good enough. You can't put down your guard. So I have to train myself to even express joy and celebration with my body because I noticed, uh, I guess it was two months ago, something I had, I had completed my first really long webinar about this topic and I poured so much work into it. And you know how it is with webinars. You like, you hang up the zoom and there you are in your studio or your living room or whatever. And <laughs> you're just, there's no, nobody's passing around champagne yeah. and canapes, right? You're just done. And I realized that by the time my wife came home from work later that I felt like anxious and tied up as if, as if there and was something wrong. Yeah. Just, yeah. Just like I, there was just energy that wasn't flowing. 
And she reminded me, Charles, celebrate what just happened today. And I like put on some music and like danced and kind of waved my arms to release that, that celebration, to release that energy because it, it just gets stuck and it's not accepted. It's not, you know, part of the man box to dance around and with a hairbrush and sing (laughs) and sing, right. Which is, which is what we all need to do. Those I was just realizing that joy and accomplishment are just as likely to get stuck in my body as trauma and fear. And I don't Absolutely. want it stuck, even though I love joy and accomplishment, it's not good for it to be stuck. It needs to flow. All emotions need to flow. Anger, sadness, grief, it all needs to move and not be just lodged in some organ. Yeah, it does. It does need to move. And I want to just say to you and to everyone listening If celebration doesn't come naturally to you, there is no shame in planning it. So if you know that you're going to lead a big webinar and that you're going to be in your living room when you're done and that it's not a good, fucking have a plan. Tell your your partner, your friend, your spouse, uh, I want to have, I want to pop some bottles with you later or have your, sometimes I close webinars like with my, I, it's always for me, it's raise your glass by pink. And sometimes I have it ready to play and I'll play it on the way out and we'll dance our way out or, or have chocolate, or I want to have a nice meal or man, I'm going to take a bath when this is over or whatever the fuck you want it to be. You can plan it. There's no shame in that. That's how we build and create habits. And we, it's a, it can be a boundary. Like we can set a boundary for ourselves that it's non-negotiable that we'll celebrate. I love it. A boundary with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you've got a book coming out. When is your book due to come out? It is on schedule. <laughs> You're still editing. So you, I'm still you editing. got a minute. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, if, if all goes well, end of March. End of March. I'm I'm hoping for as early as the the equinox because I love doing things on the quarter days. Um, but by Ooh, the end of March, you're moving fast, yeah. Mister. Yeah, yeah. It's March in like a minute. Yeah, look at that. Yep, a month from now. <laughs> month It'll from be now. March when this episode airs. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, so then I need you to promise me that you will plan some sort of celebration around your book being completed. And I want to hear all about it. I'll tell you, my partner and I both had books that came out. Hers came out late September in 2021. Mine came out in late October. And she was very honest with me about her book release day, which was supposed to be such a wonderful, exciting day, was a really sad day for her Mm. because people did not meet her imaginary expectations that she hadn't asked for. And, you know, people can't give us what we want if they don't know what it is. So she didn't get inundated yeah. with calls yeah. and text messages and things like that yeah. because uh, people are busy and no one, yeah. they, they loved her. They loved her book. She was on the best selling list for a month. It's an amazing book. Um, but she just felt let down by that experience. And so going yeah. into mine, I knew I didn't want that. So I planned all day long to do live streams with people and be, a, you know, on, we were on Instagram, we were on Facebook, we did all these things. And then I planned myself a party. Love I it. was like, no one has walked up in here and offered to throw me a book launch party. I will throw my own party. And it was fucking incredible. And, you know, when we talk about breaking any toxic habits, whether we're talking about the man box or any of the rest of them, yep. uh, just simply choosing a to not not anchor all of our joy and happiness on other people's behavior Mm -hmm. and then giving ourselves the things that we most need. We break those chains so much easier. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. For, thank you so much for that. I will, I will do that. I will, and I will invite you to the party. We'll have an online party. We'll have a real life party here in, here in Prescott, Arizona, but also, you know, what came up for me a little bit was the, I'm beginning to understand the concept of vulnerability to be much broader than most people imagine it. Yes. Vulnerability is not just about like, I feel bad and I'm going to tell you so that you will support me. It's like, I am curious about what I'm thinking. I'm open to my yes. own thoughts. I'm going to be brave and ask for what I want. I'm going to share with me, share with you when I'm really happy, not just when yes. I'm sad or need something. Um, yeah. I am going to risk telling you what I need and what kind of support I would like from you. I'm going to be vulnerable to you and for you. Heather, tell me what you're feeling right now. I want to hear about your experience being a podcast host or your experience being a parent, your experience being a lesbian woman. I want to be vulnerable to your experience so that my circle of understanding and compassion can get broader and broader and broader out there. So vulnerability is a lot more, there's a lot more to it than just, well, I'm going to complain and I want you to hear me. So much, so much. Yes. Circle of compassion and understanding. We're pretty sure that's what I'm going to name this episode. Oh, fantastic. (laughs) If if that's okay with you, because it it is about man box and it is about masculinity. And we'll put that in all the descriptions and all the show notes, but it is really about expanding our circle of compassion and understanding for ourselves, for the people around us. That's how we grow. It's how we build community. It's something that is a real strength for you. And I, I have to give you one of the questions that I had down to ask you, and I didn't have to ask it because you were so forthcoming. The question was, when do you find yourself falling into these old patterns of behavior yeah. and what do you do about it? And you yeah. were very quick to share that your first few minutes of the conversation, yeah. you talked about your editor. Um, yeah. Is there a way you feel it? Like, do you f- how do you get that sense of awareness? Do you have a feeling in your body somewhere or what shows up for you? Yeah, I I start feeling scared that there's not enough. Mm, scarcity. And yeah, scarcity. And and that's one of the, you know, it's one of the components of the man box is this win-lose, zero-sum understanding of how the world works. So you know, I remember sitting at a conference at a boys to men conference with all these incredibly brilliant, soulful, heartfelt men, including people like Ashanti branch. And they were speaking and they were answering questions and everybody, people were asking them questions and people were engaging with them. And there were these beautiful ideas. And I'm like, man, how come nobody's giving me attention? And like, I just had to laugh at myself. Like, <laughs> And and just the day before I'd been, you know, leading a group that was, everybody was gathered around me and more people kept coming in and more people kept joining the group, but that had been 24 hours earlier. And all of a sudden my cup is empty again. Um, But uh, just when I, you know, it can happen when I see other people getting a lot of attention and validation, other men in particular, getting a lot of attention and validation, um, other men being powerful, having something that I believe that I lack. And that's what happened in my conversation with, um, with, uh, with my editor. And like I said, I just, I just kind of have to laugh. I don't expect this to ever go away. I don't expect ever to evolve past this, but I just. It's like a constant recovery state, constant recovery state. And I caught myself within 
30 seconds of my crack at, at my editor. So I think that's pretty, that's pretty good. Pretty good. And, and that's that sense of catching yourself, that sense of awareness, which we may feel physically in our body, or we notice that we have these almost trauma responses to things and we're, we're cognizant of it, but then, and I, I have to I want to use a term that's so steeped in in patriarchal toxic masculinity. The term I want to use is the real measure of a man, like a real man, right? but a real person, a real, you know, honest, vulnerable, authentic, valued person says, fucking A, man, I just did this and I made fun of you for that. And I, that was because... I was feeling less than I was feeling threatened by you, which is stupid because we're on the same side here to say that out loud and acknowledge it. Even if the person on the other end maybe didn't catch it or they were going to let it go or they didn't know, like, this is how we, this is how we lead from where we stand. Right. 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 How we lead from where we stand. Love it. Love it. And I think again, my experience, you know, so the man box tells me all this stuff. Well, if you admit, makes if you admit that you made mistakes if you admit that you hurt somebody if you admit any failure at all you're going to lose respect and people are going to stop following you that's the fear that's one of the myths and again what i experience is when i say i'm so sorry that i hurt you i'm so sorry that didn't come out the way i wanted to i need to do better i need help or i'm going to get help from somewhere else all I get is more respect and more yeah. people who want to follow me and more people who want to engage like you just because I'm on Twitter spouting off. Um, <laughs> so, you know, yeah. the, the journey, as I kind of leave in the very end of the book, the very last chapter of the book, I talk about how all throughout my life I've done expeditions and I've done mountain climbing and been to the highest peaks in Wyoming and led people down to the bottom of the Grand Canyon and back. And the, the metaphor of, of mountaineering expeditions is that, you know, you start down at base camp and there's a lot of people there and lots of resources. And the higher you climb, the less oxygen there is, the smaller the tents are, the less food there is, the harder it is, the more uh, arduous, the more lonely, but, and and there are some aspects of this journey out of the man box into this kind of whole person attitude. But the, where the metaphor breaks down is that at each camp along the way in the journey out of the man box toward whole personhood and toward great leadership, great parenting, there are more resources. The camp mm. is more full of people. There's a party going on. Yeah. The oxygen is thicker. The food is better. Until when you're on the summit, yes, there might be a bunch of people left behind who haven't made it up there yet, but it is not a lonely place. It is not a place of sacrifice or risk or or uh, lack of resources. It's it's rich. That's beautiful. Mm, I love that. If folks want to get to know you better, if there are men listening or people who love men who would like them to listen to Charles. What are the best ways they can find you, your podcast, your website, all that good stuff? Yeah. So the, the podcast where we talk about the man box a lot and, and interview people like Ashanti Branch and Paul Kivel and, and others is the Remaking Manhood podcast. And we just released our first episode of our second season. And by our, I mean, Mark Green and I, where we, in that 
episode, we talk very much about what are the benefits of, of getting out of the man box. So if you search for Remaking Manhood podcast anywhere on your podcast apps, you'll find it. And then I want to engage with your listeners. I'm guessing that a lot of them are women, but um, I put together a, a, a special splash page for listeners to this podcast at charlesmatthews.com slash brave. And if you go there and uh, give me your email address, I'll send you the the new strength framework that talks about the more concrete ways that we can reframe how we think about win-lose versus win-win, power over versus power with, inclusion instead of oppression, all that kind of stuff. So go to uh, charlesmatthews.com slash brave, and uh, we'll get you that information. And, and please share it as widely as possible. I love that. Thank you. We'll be sure to promote it as well. But let's do you, you and our listeners a favor and tell them how to spell Matthews ah, for right. you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> It's M-A-T-H-E-U-S. So one T and a U instead of a W. M-A-T-H-E-U-S. And it'll be on our show notes, folks. You can find it there. But if you're listening and you're like trying to write this down, I want to make sure you can get to the right place. Yes. Before I uh, we we end our our conversation, which you and I could talk for a really long time, uh, but I think I think this has been such a, a rich, rich conversation. It feels like a good time to kind of put a put a pin yeah. in it. Um, yeah. Can you share with us what your favorite charitable organization is to support? Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a it's an oldie bit of goodie. It's the World Wildlife Fund. Um, they are doing critical work around the planet to protect massive areas of habitat. You know, they they focus on you know they market the the big the big cuddly pandas and and the big important cats. But when we preserve space for those charismatic big animals. We are preserving space for all kinds of biodiversity. And I want to do whatever I can and encourage everybody else to do whatever they can to recognize and come to grips with the with the fact that we're in the midst of this massive extinction event. And I don't want that to include us. And I also don't want it to include pandas and tigers and jaguars. So yeah, the World Wildlife Federation, I, I really believe in the in the worldwide global work that they're doing for for you know non-human critters again ex- expanding my circle of compassion and understanding to include the pangolin that weird little armored <laughs> critter in in West Africa right yeah I love that. Thank you so much for sharing them with us. We will give you all sorts of information on the organization in the show notes if you guys want to check it out whatever it is that you can give time likes money shares whatever that is. I ask you to do that right now. Charles, will you share your three words with us one last time? Vulnerability unleashes leadership. Mm, I think I let you cheat and I didn't even know it. Oh, did I cheat? Because it's not supposed to be a sentence. It's three individual words. It's all right. You yeah. got away with something in, the, in over 200 episodes. I did. Nobody else. So I'm going to challenge you right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're going to treat them like three individual words. So come up with why unleashes is one of your words. I think because the act of unleashing is a fundamental aspect of becoming that full human, the man box is a list of rules and restrictions and there's a you know there's a woman box there's a there's a white box there's all the kinds of different boxes and the act of unleashing especially 
if we take it really personally and don't attempt to prescribe the exact same version of that act to other people, it can lead to justice. It can lead to freedom for not just, I know this sounds contradictory, my personal unleashing, my very specific, mm. very customized unleashing includes more freedom for you, includes more freedom for children, includes more freedom for pangolins and hummingbirds and jaguars. I love that. Thank you. Did Thanks I for playing, my, did I Thanks for playing along. <laughs> I missed it. No, I was yeah. just so excited to talk to you and I just wrote it down. I was like, oh, unleashes. That's an interesting word. And then when you said it yeah. the third time, I was like, that's a sentence. How did that get? I need more coffee today. No, I loved it. Oh, Charles, yeah. thank you so much. This is fantastic. I We've talked before about collaborating. Yep. I um, I look forward to that opportunity. Thank you so much for being here and for doing what you do. Thank you for what you do. Your podcast is is raising people up. I'm sure all around the country and all around the world. And I think you are giving so many people permission to explore what it means to be brave from so many different angles. And we need courage. We need bravery. We do. So much. We do. Yeah. We really, really do. I love it. And thank you guys for listening. I want to hear what you think. So do me a favor. You can connect with me on Instagram at the Brave Files Podcast and hit me up with a DM. Slide into my DMs. That sounds dirty. Uh, and let me know what, no, <laughs> what you think of the show, what you love about this conversation with Charles. And do Charles and I both a favor and share it. Like, listen, review, share it with your friends. Tell people why this is impacting you and how it's helping you get up and do something brave today. I, I thank you so much for being here, all of you listeners and Charles. This is Heather Vickery reminding you today and every single day to go out and choose bravely. Bye. Hey, friends, I want to share something really exciting with you. We already know you enjoy listening to podcasts because you're listening to this one, but I'm also betting you enjoy audiobooks. And hey, listen, if you don't already enjoy audiobooks, then it's time to check them out. That's why I'm really excited to share Libro.fm with you. They are an incredible new platform for listening to audiobooks. And by choosing Libro.fm over other audiobook services, you are supporting a local bookstore of your choice and investing in your local community. Libro.fm offers over 150,000 audiobooks via their primary platform, which, by the way, they built with love and from scratch because they're a small business also. They even offer bookseller recommendations for great audiobook options. You can sign up right now via www.vickeryandco.com slash librofm. That's vickeryandco.com slash L-I-B-R-O-F-M. And when you do, you'll get one free audiobook of your choice and the proceeds will go to your favorite local bookstore. Now, check what I just said there. You're going to get a free book, and the proceeds are still going to go to your local bookstore because Libro.fm makes sure that their booksellers get paid even when they give a promo to customers. I've listened to over 20 audiobooks this year alone. I especially love listening to memoirs read by the author, and it feels great knowing that all of my purchases support my local bookstore, The Book Table, in Oak Park, Illinois. Libro.fm. The same audiobooks, the same price, 
but a completely different story. Check them out right now at vicaryandco.com slash LibroFM. Have you ever thought about starting a podcast? Maybe you've had this thought and then quickly shut it down because who has the time? Or you don't know how, or gosh, it just all seems too hard. If you have something to share with the world, we want to encourage you to get your message out. The world needs to hear it. Did you know that 50% of all homes are podcast fans? If you've ever wondered about having your own podcast or how it can increase your business or get your message across, then please join me and the other experts from the Podcast Power Academy for our monthly free Q&A session. It's called, So You Want to Start a Podcast? This casual live conversation will help you understand how podcasting can be a great decision, why now is the best time to get started, and how to get into action with it. Visit podcastpoweracademy.com to learn more. You've been listening to The Brave Files, stories of people living courageously. To learn more about the show, find our show notes and full episode transcripts, or to get some great bonus content, visit thebravefilespodcast.com. And we would love to know what you think of the show. You can give us a call at 312-646-0205. Let us know your thoughts on the episode, the show in general, or maybe share with us how you're out choosing bravely. This episode is brought to you by Vickery & Co. Success Coaching. Coaching that helps you maintain a life well-lived and a business well-run. Learn more at vickeryandco.com. Our music was created and produced in a custom collaboration with Matt Lewis from ML Creative Consulting, a boutique firm dedicated to helping clients identify their unique sound and amplify their brand with custom-delivered soundtracks. We couldn't do any of this without our extraordinary audio engineer, Andrew Olson. Learn more about him and check out his work at findandrewolson.com. And special thanks to everyone on Team Brave from our producers, associate producers, copy editors, writers, and support team. Special thanks to Molly, Mary, Kim, Sabra, and Sabrina. I'm your host and executive producer, Heather Vickery. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next week.